Paul Kofi Awolfo is a public health officer in Ghana, and he thinks a lot about malaria. It is so common everybody knows malaria in Ghana and in my community. For one thing, Paul's had malaria several times. I've had malaria. Even this year, I think I've had malaria. So, What did it feel like to have it? Very painful. You have severe headache. You have chills. You have general body weakness. You have loss of appetite. And it is very painful. Very, very painful. Malaria, which is transmitted by mosquitoes, kills more than 400,000 people a year. Two-thirds of them are children in Africa under the age of five. Just a few years back, Paul's four-year-old son got malaria. He came down with symptoms in the middle of the night, and Paul had to rush him to the hospital. He was there for three days, but he was given some infusions. He was very, very weak with high temperature. High temperature. The body was very hot to touch, not even warm, very hot to touch. Were you scared? Very scared. I was so So scared. So scared. Paul's son recovered. But as a public health worker, Paul continues to deal with malaria every day. And he says the disease affects more than just physical health. Malaria affects the life of people who get it economically. Economically, when someone gets malaria, it takes you not less than a week before you are fully recovered. And if you are admitted to the hospital, it means that you won't be able to go about your normal day-to-day business. And if a child, the parents or the parent is also not able to go to work because the child is being admitted to the hospital. And when it comes to health, as I said, it is very devastating. It can lead to death. But Paul has a new reason to be hopeful. Last week, the World Health Organization announced the rollout of the first-ever vaccine for malaria one of the deadliest diseases in history. Welcome to The Journal, our show about money, business, and power. I'm Kate Leinbaum. It's Friday, October 15th. Coming up on the show, the long-held dream of a malaria vaccine and how it became a reality. This episode is brought to you by Workday. Get the whole band together with Workday and pair finance and HR on one platform for an epic performance. With Workday AI at the core, you'll make confident decisions faster than ever. And you'll drive flawless business and finance operations with an agile platform that constantly evolves to future-proof your organization. Be a finance and HR rock star with Workday. Visit Workday.com to learn more. A lot of people have followed the development of COVID vaccines, which took less than a year to develop, the fastest vaccines ever. But the story of the malaria vaccine is a very different one. Our colleague Denise Rowland has been covering its development, which has taken about 40 years. It's a story that caps off a very, very long tale. So it's the length of it is, is I think, the most extraordinary thing about it. So why has a malaria vaccine not existed up until this point? 
So I think a lot of it comes down to just how hard this thing is to vaccinate against. Malaria is a really, really complicated parasite. It's got about 5,000 genes in its genome. That means it makes 5,000 proteins. Those are all possible targets for a vaccine. COVID only has about 13 genes and it has a really big, obvious spike protein on its surface. But it's not just the science that makes the malaria vaccine different from COVID vaccines. It's also the funding. Malaria hasn't gotten nearly the amount of money or political attention that COVID has. Even with all the funding in the world, it would have taken longer to develop a malaria vaccine than a COVID vaccine. But, you know, funding can speed up clinical trials. It can speed up the initial science because you can put more scientists into the lab and get stuff done more quickly. Funding will always accelerate a process. In the absence of a vaccine, doctors and public health workers have figured out other ways to fight malaria. And that was through a combination of insecticide-treated bed nets, insecticide in general, using these anti-malarial preventative medicines so you can get these pills that can prevent it taking hold in you in the first place. And also just, you know, improvements in access to treatment for malaria. So some progress has been made, but that progress has been stalling over the last few years. They seem to have maxed out where you can get to with those kind of interventions. Before they stalled out, those interventions were very successful. Between 2000 and 2019, deaths from malaria fell about 44%. But to fully get malaria under control, a vaccine is a key tool, which is why scientists have spent decades working to find one. The scientific breakthrough that laid the foundation for this vaccine happened out of NYU, In 1979, it was by this team of scientists led by a married couple, Ruth and Victor Nussensweig. And the key discovery from them was they honed in on this one protein that they thought had potential. So they were the ones that identified what's known as the antigen that would form the basis of the vaccine. A few years later, that was taken up by the company that would become GlaxoSmithKline. GlaxoSmithKline, or GSK, is a British drug company. In the 1980s, when it was called SmithKline, the company tried to take that antigen discovered at NYU and turn it into a vaccine. At the time, it was the only major pharmaceutical company trying to make a malaria vaccine. And that's partially because there's not a lot of money in it. Problems that mostly affect poorer countries do just attract less money. They rely more heavily on donor money, It's not the same as, I guess, governments throwing all they've got at a problem. And, you know, when it's a really hard problem like eradicating malaria, it kind of plods along, but nobody's deciding to throw everything at it. Feels like it would be prestigious, though, to find a vaccine for one of the oldest human ailments. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think there's an element of just sort of scientific pride in having done it, even if they're not going to get any commercial payback. Did GSK ever think about giving up? Yeah, well, there was a moment in 1999 where, you know, they'd done a bunch of the early science and laid down some foundations, but, you know, they were wavering about whether to keep it going. At that moment, the unit of GSK that was working on it actually went and um, applied for funding from the Gates Foundation, and that's what kept the programme going. 
GSK says it spent more than $350 million of its own money developing its malaria vaccine. And on top of that, it got another $200 million from donors. All that funding helped GSK try different things over the years to improve the vaccine. It tried things like adding another protein from the parasite into the mix to see if that would cause a stronger immune response. It also experimented with different substances that you can add to a vaccine to try to kick up the immune response. And 10 years after GSK almost gave up, it landed on a malaria vaccine that it was ready to test on a large scale. That's after the break. In 2009, GSK had been working on a malaria vaccine for 20 years, and it was finally ready to take the vaccine to a late-stage clinical trial. The vaccine was given to 15,000 babies in sub-Saharan Africa in two age groups, one to four months and five to 17 months. They tracked these kids for a few years, and the, the big final result was that about 36% of the older age group were protected against malaria four years on. And it was about 26% of the little babies who were protected, I think, three years on in that case. The protection was a bit lower against severe malaria in both groups. In fact, in tiny babies, there was no protection from severe malaria three years on. These results came out in 2015. They averaged out to about a 30% efficacy rate, which was disappointing to some. And for the WHO, that efficacy level wasn't strong enough, and the agency didn't endorse a full rollout. You know, at the time, there were hopes that that could lead to a rollout across the region. You know, the WHO did sort of stop short of that and want to double-check that it would really make a difference in the real world. So, you know, the efficacy results weren't so, like, mind-blowingly great that the WHO immediately thought it was worth getting it rolling. They wanted to make sure it would work in the field. Did anyone want to stop the development process? No, I think, you know, there was this appointment that the efficacy wasn't higher than it was, but I think the sheer prevalence of malaria, you know, millions of people getting it every year make even a modestly effective vaccine worthwhile. When you've got a disease that affects so many people, as malaria does, even an efficacy of, you know, about a third is a big deal. That's still a lot of infections prevented. I think the key thing is that it shouldn't replace any of the other layers of prevention that are already in place. I guess a bit like to bring us back to the COVID analogy, like how you have a vaccinated population, but you might still want to wear masks as another layer of protection. You know, here you have a vaccine that adds another layer, but alone, you know, wouldn't be enough to protect people against malaria. After that clinical trial, the WHO wanted more information on how well the vaccine would work. One concern it had was that the dose regimen was complicated. Parents needed to bring their children in for three shots and an additional booster shot 18 months later. To get more real-world data, the WHO decided it would pilot the vaccine in three countries. 
Kenya, Malawi, and Ghana. That started in 2019. Paul, the public health worker in Ghana, worked on the rollout at his clinic. Did the community come out to get the vaccine? Yes, the community came out to get the vaccine. Ghana, we don't have much vaccine hesitancies. Vaccination activities are very welcoming in Ghana. So people participated a lot. That month, we were able to vaccinate 358 children with the malaria vaccine because they know the effect of malaria. And since that pilot, have you seen rates of malaria come down? Yes. So I think we've seen the the rate of malaria coming down and especially severe form of the malaria. So we have evidence. We have examples. We have people who have come out to testify that malaria vaccine is working. I use myself as an example. I have a one and a half year old daughter who had taken the malaria vaccine and she has had some symptoms of malaria. Paul took his daughter to get tested to see if her symptoms were malaria. The test was positive. But his daughter never got really sick. We never spent the whole day in the hospital, never had any hospital admissions. And I think that is very helpful compared to an elder brother who had been admitted because of malaria. Paul felt positive about his daughter's and his clinic's experience with the malaria vaccine. And so did other public health officials in Ghana, Kenya, and Malawi. And that response led to the WHO's big announcement last week. It recommended the vaccine be rolled out across all of sub-Saharan Africa. The announcement came from Dr. Tedros, the director general of the WHO, who started his career in malaria research. And I longed for the day that we would have an effective vaccine against this ancient and terrible disease. And today is that day. To him, you know, this was a very big moment in the history of the fight against malaria. And it had a kind of personal aspect for him as well, I think. Using this vaccine in addition to existing tools to prevent malaria could save tens of thousands of young lives each year. Still, this recommendation from the WHO is just the first step. It will likely take years for the vaccine to become widely available to the tens of millions of people who will need it annually. For now, GSK plans to manufacture at least 15 million doses a year. And by 2028, it will transfer production to an Indian company. It has also said it won't sell the vaccine for more than 5% above the cost of production and will invest the profits in further research for lower-income nations. At the same time, governments and aid groups will need to invest billions of dollars to build out more production capacity. And what has the reaction around the world been to this news, that the WHO has endorsed this vaccine? Yeah, it's broadly been really positive for the people who live in these countries. You know, this is another thing that they'll get to fight malaria, which is, you know, affects their lives so deeply, you know, it's not the, it's not a silver bullet, but the vaccine will hopefully put another big dent in how malaria affects uh, these parts of the world. It took 40 years to develop this malaria vaccine. Some of that's for scientific reasons, some of that's for funding reasons. While it took one year, if that, to develop the COVID-19 vaccine, what does that say about vaccine development 
and financial incentives. Yeah, I think it says pretty much everything, right? Um, <laughs> it shows us that when there's a commercial incentive, you will get a lot of brains focused on a problem and a lot of, you know, it's a scientific genius <laughs> put into things and that gets stuff done. You know, there are still hundreds of COVID vaccine candidates in the pipeline from that initial, you know, rush of interest and funding at the beginning of the pandemic. You know, there are still only a few malaria vaccines in development even today. Paul says vaccine development for other diseases has outpaced the malaria vaccine. And he feels frustrated, waiting for a solution to something so deadly. As a public health officer, I ask myself if scientists are able to develop vaccines for measles, develop vaccines for yellow fever, develop vaccines for hepatitis B. Yes, they are harmful. They are very contagious. But we have people who have never seen measles, who are in practice, who are health workers, who are nurses, who are doctors. But every day, even anybody who has not gone to school knows signs and symptoms for malaria in my community. We all grew up to meet malaria. So we've been very frustrated. I've been very frustrated personally how it took that long. Does this vaccine give you hope of a future where malaria is less of a problem? Yes, give us much hope. That I hope my children, by the time they'll be like me, they should hear it in the books. <laughs> they should see the books and say, Ghana used to be endemic. Ghana used to be this. At least we should move from endemicity to eradication, where we know we are just eradicating malaria. That is my ambition. That is what I'm looking at. Thank you so much for your time today. You are so welcome. That's all for today, Friday, October 15th. The Journal is a co-production of Gimlet and The Wall Street Journal. Special thanks to Gabrielle Steinhauser for her help with this episode. Your hosts are Ryan Knudsen and me, Kate Leinbaugh. The show's produced by Katherine Brewer, Pia Godkari, Brendan Klinkenberg, Annie Minoff, Laura Morris, Afif Nasuli, Ricky Novetsky, Enrique Perez de la Rosa, Sarah Platt, Willa Rubin, Kayla Stokes, and Annie Rose Strasser. Our engineers are Griffin Tanner and Nathan Singapak. Our theme music is by So Wiley. Additional music this week from Bobby Lord, Billy Libby, and Blue Dot Sessions. Fact-checking by Nicole Pasulka. Thanks for listening. See you Monday.